Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 169 with Paul Goodman. Let the Goodman times roll. Join the team as we catch up with Paul A, as it says here, channeled <laughs> mystic student Austrian who has explored realities and has come back with lots to say. Once again, welcome. I blame the Mercury retrograde for that typo. Well, thank you very much for having me here and for the opportunity to bring some insights that I gained from my experiences. Yeah, dude, you're a sponge. And uh, even in the green room, green room, we were talking and uh, you were helping um, alleviate my downcast soul at the moment. This episode's actually going to be funny. It's the tower card. Oh, who'd have thunk on the beginning of Mercury retrograde in Scorpio. Um I know that radical transformation is being required of me. This is about rapid, unsettling change, surrendering to the flashes of insight, power and not knowing. Your world feels like it's falling apart and strengthening your core beliefs. Very apropos for where I'm at personally and energetically. Raphael, uh, what galactic heritage card is it? Here we are at number 61. So kind of the mirror image of the 16. Sirius, creative communication, present timeline. The Sirius energy is known for its profound spiritual communication. It acknowledges that you have a connection with a Sirius guide, future self or dolphin energy that is currently working with you. Spend some time in quiet meditation connecting with this energy. Let this energy help you inspirationally communicate with those you love. If you do any form of channeling, this Sirius energy can assist. If you have difficulty saying things that need to be said in your life, ask this guide for help. It can help you clear karmic patterns regarding your fear of expressing yourself. Well, even a channeling card. Uh, that's definitely what's up. So, Paul, I know in the green room you said you wanted to pull a Galactic Heritage card. Did you want to do that now? Yeah, let's just uh, start with that. Cool. And while you're doing that, I'm curious, uh, between the tower and that serious card he just pulled and whatever you're about to pull, we'll talk about, but, um, w did that resonate and how so? Okay. I'm kind of having now the problem of not having enough arms because I want to shuffle the cards and at the same time I have to use push to talk, but, um, to answer your question, um, I felt a strong resonance also with the insights and with the tower card, um, strengthening core beliefs and then through the serious energy being being able to express these feelings or these insights and to creatively make use of any form of communication be it through arts through singing through music or whatever comes to mind as we are in a sense still limited in this dimension through language, for example, I always get this feeling that I want to express something and language is kind of limiting. Also in terms of being able to clearly describe an experience say if you want to explain to 
a blind guy what the color green or the color blue or the color red or any color whatsoever looks like well it will be quite difficult to describe a color through language and so i feel that we're moving now into a time where we will get some upgrades in order to being able to um expressing our insights and our truth more profoundly in the future well you go ahead and shuffle those cards bro uh well said uh, it's funny because the tower card is one of those cards where it's it's apocalypse writ large. Uh, it's big changes, uncomfortable changes. I imagine it's, you know, if you can anthropomorphize how losing a layer of skin would feel for a snake, uh, it's not fun particularly. Um, or maybe the emulsification process of the caterpillar into the butterfly. Um, but at some level, it strengthens what's there and... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just getting, it's one of those days between, I don't know, I can't just blame the astrology, a lot of personal kind of things are happening, a lot of my coping mechanisms I would normally turn to, I could turn to, but I feel both motivated not to and um, kind of condition, they would be conditionally allowed anyway, so it's like not really a free choice, um, but you know, just running and hiding my head under the pillow, even though I'm used to doing that and living under the pillow, doesn't maybe seem like appropriate so i'm just dealing with personally uh right now a lot of heavy weird emotions that i've probably avoided for a long time quite frankly probably the whole time i was smoking weed which was most of my life um because i in a lot of ways i do look at cannabis as something that lifted my spirits and like allowed me to laugh at life and take it less seriously and now that seriousness is back uh, serious card even and i'm not trying to be punny like that but it's like things that i can't quite communicate that are more dark melancholic kind of heavier energy um are definitely rearing their heads Raphael, what did you think about those cards well i'm thinking that also or especially a lightning strike is an electrical discharge and certainly a form of creative communication that is true uh there's actually a really good disney movie called ben and me i think and it's about benjamin franklin discovering electricity and he has a, a mouse that witnesses it all and kind of the declaration of independence uh it's a disney thing if you guys haven't seen well, it you should go put, with it. a different way it's just like uh you know it's seen generally as a card of destruction and mayhem which it certainly is but the question is always what is being destroyed what kind of energy is represented by the lightning bolt and could it not just as well be, you know, a flash of insight, a flash of inspiration, you know, the breath of God, however you want to call it. Because again, the card after the tower is the star when you can see the sky clearly once again. And uh, yeah, this also has a lot to do with, you know, a creative form of communication or communion with yourself on a new level because, you know, the roof's literally been torn off and the tower's been torn down. So uh, there is less mediation between yourself and whatever you deem to be, quote unquote, up in the sky. That's right. Paul, you still shuffling or what, what's up with that? I finished and I pulled a card and I also totally agree with what Raphael said. It was beautiful analogy and metaphor to talk about the lightning strike. Um, and the card I got is uh, really interesting because I was shuffling and then the card fell out and then I was putting it back in, shuffling and then just drawing another card. 
But it was actually the same card, which is Self-Discipline, number 24. Vega. I know Correct. it. Correct. Yeah, I love Lisa Royal Holt. Shout out. We all use your fucking cards. Come on the podcast. But uh, yeah, no, this I, I pull these cards all the time. And Vega is, I guess, like kind of like the Spock equivalent culture they're kind of serious well am i getting this right uh they had they were kind of serious but also very mystical too in a weird way right that's true yeah and i would love to have her on the show one day or like uh listen to her on the podcast and i will now read the 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 text <laughs> um the profound nature of vegan mysticism as you so perfectly put came from their intense self-discipline. As an example, you see this now in martial arts or meditation practices. Spiritual skills do not develop without this self-discipline and devoted practice. Karmically, many humans now either resist discipline or crave it because of their ancient experiences. What is your pattern? Know that self-discipline is a vital part of spiritual growth but too much of it creates rigidity. It is important to find the middle ground and use discipline as a tool to further your growth without it becoming a hindrance. Right, so it's like, you know, taking things seriously, but not too much. We're all, all work and no play makes Jack a doll boy, and you might snap, but at the same time, I mean, this is where I find it very tricky, where it's like, how does one take things seriously with self-control, discipline, Without, uh, without being too dry and, you know, too kind of fascist, basically. Raphael, thoughts? You mean where to lean or what? <laughs> well, uh, it's funny because I know your um, gene key and your, your uh, whatever, your main purpose or whatever is to have pleasure, I think, or something like that. Um, I don't remember it exactly now, but it's oh, like... It's, it's, it's a bit more differentiated. <laughs> which uh, one is it? Bliss ecstasy uh universal love there, because there are four main ones but i think the main thing is bliss ecstasy universal love and something else but i can look it up right so like bliss and ecstasy i think ecstasy is what i was thinking of was it being your like your life purpose in that sense mine's purity which you know can go two ways you can purely have a fun time or purely not do any drugs and alcohol or whatever um so I, it's always been really problematic for me personally to find that medium i have self-control issues but i think from the universe or however he's written his own script Raphael has like a kind of get out of jail free card he can kind of do what he wants and have fun so i'm, I'm kind of curious and both of you can respond like how do you look at seriousness uh, and stoicism and, and good behavior or whatever, self-discipline, like these things that we talk about. In oh, light this is of great. These okay. Thank you. So uh, I totally should have gotten the book back again. Gene Keys by Richard Rudd, who, as we like to repeat on the show, is going to come on the podcast. Hell yeah. Uh, November 17th. Uh, finally, for real. Yeah. So that's great. Um, because you mentioned seriousness. And so now I just pulled up my chart. And uh, so the main four ones, uh, you know, I'm not saying this because I want to talk about me, but just to have a case in point. And in this case, I'm offering up my, you know, occult ID, as I like to call it. So here it says, uh, life's work is the CD is ecstasy. Evolution is universal love. Radiance, how could I forget this one, is stillness, of course. And the purpose is bliss. 
So it's kind of funny that, you know, life's work is ecstasy and purpose is bliss. I mean, that's, that's a nice setup, Sounds like right? a good time. Sounds yeah. like you can walk around with a martini Pretty glass much. and do whatever but you want. Yeah. To, to what you have been talking about in terms of how serious to take it or not, that's actually the, the prime one in my case, the life's work line. And here the shadow, so this is number 46.5 in this case. And the shadow for 46 is uh, seriousness. So we could now uh, discuss or divine or read what the repressed aspect is and the what is the other one, the rebellious aspect, right? That's the shadow parts usually. Then the gift aspect of seriousness is delight. And the Siddic aspect then of seriousness is ecstasy. So any of you uh, can make sense of that? It does make sense, in a sense. Go on, well, Paul. Um, yes. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not so much into the gene keys. I'm very interested in it, but I don't even know my own chart, to be honest. I know about all of my charts, probably like Mayan astrology and whatever. Um, but the gene keys I have to look into, but uh, and to to get to Raphael's occult id as you so beautifully said um i feel that it's very much aligned so that all the qualities kind of fit into each other like these nice um steampunk artifacts uh how is this your zahnräder i'm sorry yeah, I'm like, the, like the, 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 gear, the gears or the clockworks or something gears, actually exactly. if you even look at the human design chart and you, you know, you kind of look at it, how do you say, with hazy eyes or whatever, it, it could look like a steampunk clock or something because you have the flower of life in the background, the I Ching surrounding it. I'm sure, Jim, you've seen those charts. They, yeah. Yeah, they look kind of, uh, I'm mechanical not even sure what to say. In a spiritual yeah, mechanical, sense. exactly, right, right. So, I mean, right. you were saying seriousness leads to ecstasy? Um, I would rather recommend to redefine your seriousness because um, in my channeling experience I've been also in contact with beings from Sirius and they're like not what we would call serious. They're actually quite funny. Um, in a serious sense there is a balance to, to being seriously funny. There is the saying, isn't that seriously funny? Um, and so I feel that being serious doesn't mean that you always have to have a straight face. You can also, um, and maybe that's a more Austrian approach because we love cabaret, um, talk about quite serious topics in a very funny manner. Well, and, and that to help the psyche. I mean, if you take it too seriously, you'll snap, right? In a sense, or if, you're too, if you're too rigid, you'll snap. That's actually what uh, anthropologists say, because I also study anthropology and um, in anthropology, there is a, well, a subdivision of anthropology is called anthropology of war. And there is uh, an author who says that to cope with war, human beings tend to make fun of it. As a kind of psychological self-defense mechanism Ouch. to just... <laughs> Well, right, it's... it reminds me of Old Boy, the Korean 
thriller. It's like laugh with the world and the, the world, you know, laugh and the world laughs with you, cry and you cry alone. I mean, you can, we can just get overwhelmed and it's like everyone's on their own trip and it can be too much, but we have to make light of it, it seems, in order just to cope. Uh, it's essentially, it is a coping skill. I mean, I guess the yeah. question is whether you're coping with it, but still uh, either joining the army as a combatant or something, or even, I mean, here we could get into, you know, like paying taxes that uh, without fail will also go towards what is commonly called defense spending, however one may see that now. That's true, but uh, I just want to add that it's uh, not solely uh, making fun of war in order to cope with it. It's just that um, after wars, people tend to kind of, um, while still having learned something from the experience, like really taking their war experience or whatsoever seriously, but at the same time, kind of making fun of it sometimes in order to kind of uh, auflockern, uh, to make it like lighter. And about the defense spendings, I saw recently a, a post where Trump apparently said, um, without having checked it, but... Uh, I saw it on the internet, so it must be true. And uh, it was him saying that America and China and Russia together spend most of the the world's money for military resources, and that if this and these, he said in this quote that these three countries can get together and uh, make a more sustainable use of this money, and that he thinks that it's possible. That would be dope. I mean, the term that we're talking about is a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Life is bitter. I mean, Buddha says it's, it's suffering, right? It's not easy. And I think sometimes these hard, I mean, maybe that's a presupposition. I don't know if Bashar, what Bashar says upon that. I mean, if, that, if that's a belief that life is hard, because part well, of, of course it's having, a belief. I'll just answer that right away. Well, obviously at a level it's a belief, but like what's true? generally for most people and are they choosing to believe it or is well, it outside yeah, of that of belief? Course. That's well, a very philosophical question, what is true. Yeah, but what's certainly true for them, if they experience life is hard and they believe it is hard, I mean, how many people would you see that you would deem to be in abhorrent poverty and they can't stop smiling and will even give you the, share their meal with you? They don't you know? know any better. In a sense, I mean, that's the Pandora's box problem. They have wait, box. but know any better than what? Than what? Than the distractions of attachment and desire, as Buddha okay, would put okay, it. Okay, yeah, but that's a, yeah, okay, but that's a different. It's like they, aspect you know, of they, have a, they have a purity about themselves where they're like, I love watching frogs leap each other at the pond because that's all I can do because I'm uneducated and blah 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 or whatever. And maybe there's a beauty in that simplicity, but at the same time, you know, they're not dealing with abstract concepts largely. Who I mean, I don't want to generalize too much, but the point is people who, you know, ignorance is bliss at a level. I mean, this is where that saying, it's not, it's just, you know, and that's where drugs and alcohol come in. So people are like, I don't want to feel this. I want to ignore or buy pass essentially like certain emotions or states. And I, and there's ways to do that. One could do that through laughing. There's like laughing yoga. There's, I mean, in a sense, I think even, you know, all beliefs do this. That's why I don't really understand what the substrate of reality is, because I think we how we tell ourselves about it creates a level of reality to it. But is that just us getting stuck in a feedback loop of our own making? Uh, for example, I'm sure you know Dick Cheney and people who are into the war machine love doing what they do, or else they wouldn't do it. So they believe it's good, and, and they'll defend it. They'll create policies, and right. Whereas the kid in Jakarta who's fucking you know gets one meal of rice a day and watches the frogs hop. They're not on that wave, so maybe they're 
they're, they haven't opened the Pandora's box to the degree where they have so many distractions, so much to attach to, so much to identify with and believe in that's superfluous in a sense. Uh, just one aspect I don't get is in terms of substrate of reality, in terms of the mechanistic construction, for lack of a better term, I would just again reiterate because I haven't found a better, more succinct and more encompassing explanation. You experience what you mostly believe to be true for yourself. The question is to what degree are you even aware of those beliefs? And as I mentioned before, the differing layers like the collective unconscious and so on, which in order to hack may require a certain, you know, level and frequency of consciousness that not everyone, you know, may uh, uh, have at will at this point. But simply put, it's beliefs. Uh, I don't know. Would you say that's that's a clear perspective to you, or would you say that something is missing? Then, when we say beliefs I mean, it, is a substrate of like, creation, I feel like the belief would be what we project onto the thing. So it's like the clothing we put on life. And so you it, still think it, it it's can distinct? Be. Yeah, I don't look at it as like the nature of reality. I, I guess. I mean, I understand what you mean. That. It's like, huh? I said, I'm saying try that because I can kind of understand this idea that then you kind of take it halfway and say, okay, we all believe something about this reality, but it's still actually one reality. You know, where there's one geography, where there's one political landscape, there's one attitude, there's one whatever, and we all have our own perspectives. And then it kind of looks different to everyone, but it's actually just one and the same. And this level of consciousness exists. But this would be the template level reality or the collective unconscious level. Whereas even here, there are agreements made. So then if there is a mass consensus agreement for a certain idea, then that may in a not really objectified, but agreed upon sense appear, let's say, similar to everyone, whilst they, of course, still create their own versions individually. However, if you would choose to dissociate from a mass agreement and make up your completely unique agreement, then you can have versions of reality and individuals and entities and situations that may pretty much appear completely unrelated to whatever an apparent mass consensus reality would be. So what I'm pointing at is that there is this illusion of a somewhat objectified reality. However, in truth, at least Which communication my makes experience, us believe in, right? Exactly, exactly. And may also be used very constructively and positively, of course. Yeah. But fundamentally, at least as far as I can understand, it is really only an individual choice. The question is, to what degree am I aware? Oh, I don't hear you anymore. Yeah, uh, he's on mute. Okay, but maybe yes. i just uh, just how no, did back. you get that very strange uh you kind of stopped talking about you know communication helps to a point like when we say i'm hungry and you're hungry let's go make some food like we can fix things right. Right. so very briefly i'm saying there are these collective levels that exists in a reality but they just offer up an illusion of a really objective reality that one may fall into something ultimately it's still completely subjective and individual choice however we make agreements on differing levels of which we can be conscious or not, where then it may appear as a quote-unquote objective or shared reality. Thank you so much, truly. It's like you just explained what I was about to answer to the original question, but you put it in such a beautiful vocabulary that I have nothing more to add to it. So I'm just wrong. Well, 
basically, which is fine. Simply, I don't mind no, no, no. <laughs> it's not about being wrong or not, but maybe to give it back to you, Jim. Uh, what does McKenna always say about culture? Well, he says it's not your friend, but he also th thought the substrate to reality was language. Kind of like Doesn't what we he also about say yesterday. it's a mass hallucination or something, or am I dreaming? Was it someone it's else? Not, maybe? Uh, yeah, I think. Sure, but I mean, McKenna doesn't have the corner on truth. I don't think he's just a monkey with a perspective. Of course not. I don't just uh, you know. <laughs> there is there is actually on on a certain level that Raphael mentioned. There is these um, levels of of consciousness and about awareness. And on a certain level, it's it's a absolutely true and right belief, so to speak, to think that. There is this one reality that each one of us has a different perspective on regarding and being perpetuated by the individual belief patterns that everyone holds in order to perceive this one reality. But that itself is a belief pattern. And you are able to transcend this belief pattern and to realize that you can completely leave this mass consensus hallucination illusion for the limitations of language don't allow for um i mean the language it, allows cohesion at a level but i've heard some quote and i agree i guess it's like only the shaman and the madman create their own world in a sense so what Raphael's talking about it's like not too many people and i think i was doing it in a right. in a way with psychedelics but now that i'm off of psychedelics and stuff i'm like shit i didn't do a lot of the work like it feels like I was bypassing or something. That's completely up to your own, you know, discernment and experience, of course. What I would like to say, however, there is, of course, in my estimation, again, a completely and absolutely objective reality. However, the only attributes of that reality are existence itself. Exactly. And, and or the, you know, the undescribable one, the one that cannot be named, blah, blah, blah. We've been discussing this, right? So that's a real objective thing. But since it only comes with this very, you know, uh, simple foundational quality of existence, anything else can be built on top or rather within it, which, again, in my view, it is. So how do you guys look at, like, the Bashar equation in terms of, like, I mean, maybe part of my... Uh, I mean, I, I, as a double Gemini, I say things like I'll say the truth. And then I, I mean, I say it out loud and I intellectualize it. And then like a plot application is very different. And maybe I'm not, you know, I'm whipping up a cool medicinal shake and then I'm not drinking it or whatever, but it seems like, is it, I mean, does Bashar address like suffering and the ease like Raphael, you're always saying this is as hard or as easy as you prefer it to be. Whereas, you know, other people like this thing is by nature difficult. Um, and maybe that yeah, of course, like Jesus that's a belief and that's a definition. What, Jesus? Jesus said that? Well, he's like, this sucks. I don't want to die. God, can I not have this cup? Okay, I guess I'll go die. Like, I mean, his preferences weren't on the table at that level. Uh, he was going to a higher role, if you want to put it that way, if that story is to be taken seriously. But, um, or Buddha. It's certainly like, to be suffering. taken seriously, but it's not to be taken literally. And maybe the differentiation, and this can be, of course, different for everyone. And uh, I would just, I'm just assuming this, I really don't know, but there may well be, you know, somewhat balanced, maybe only intuitively spiritual lives, very simple, being lived in perfect harmony and excitement and joy and bliss also upon this planet. What I would see now is, again, it's a matter of discernment and maybe doesn't have, uh, let me just say that 
if you answer the call in a sense or pick up the phone you're in the matrix however you want to put it then most likely you're going to get a calling that may be somewhat different from what you yourself had been conditioned to or made to believe that those are your true desires and that may then of course be a an interesting process to follow along that path and uh, may certainly seem then i would i would just guess like different but it's um it's nonetheless, you know, exciting. I mean, we just had on, you know, Steve Wybro and Claire Edwards, and they're now, uh, you know, driving around telling people about, about 5G and so on, which two years ago, no one even wanted to talk about. And it seems like they're having a complete blast, you know. So that's like, you know, one uh, prime example for me of how this can all be arranged in a new sense that from the old perspective, it may seem like suffering. But from the new perspective, it is, you know, perfect bliss, potentially. You see what I'm saying? Suffering yeah, which, with grace. Well, it scares me because then I'm like, am I really choosing that? Like, what's the what's the objective here? Like, I know growing can hurt. Like, growth, you know, some things have qualities beyond preference in a sense, I feel. So, like, the tower card is going to feel like a tower card, whether, you know, and we could sit there and tell ourselves it's all for well, good and give ourselves hope. And, you know, it's going to appear. No, no, it's going to appear as a tower card and, uh, potentially have some of its effects or offer up its effects but again how you interpret it this is where the real power lies what i would like to come back to interpretational sovereignty where you are always in your power is how you interpret and respond to any phenomenon even more important than whatever you may be manifesting because if you catch yourself in that moment and can ask yourself what i would have to believe is true about myself in order to feel bad emotion about this and restructure your belief system or do whatever other method to just get on the wave again and polarize yourself positively, not in an ignorant way, but as a conscious choice through conscious contemplation and the removal and the def and the um, yeah, removal of negative negative belief systems through their identification. And uh, when you really do that, then you don't it's look just at like bypassing. No, because what you are doing again is you are asking yourself the question: Why? and where that emotion comes from. Emotion is never existing in the void. It is always dependent upon belief. And if you seriously, seriously ask yourself that question, you will always get a response from yourself. And then you can start digging through the negative belief systems. There may even be multiple layers. It can be somewhat complex. It can be very simple. But if you're honest to yourself and really willing, then you will get through that, eventually read the, reach the gold mine of having deconstructed all negative beliefs and just have a, naturally a positive belief based on free will choice and unconditional self-love to replace whatever had been there before. And then you haven't bypassed anything. You've actually excavated or done the shadow work or whatever. And uh, yeah, just in a sense, if you will, uh, elevated yourself uh, to a higher frequency. So I don't see any bypassing here. It's a very conscious and discrete process, I'd say. Exactly. It's about seeing something. And when you feel a negative emotion because of something you experience or that you see or that you notice, then you're not bypassing it, but you're deconstructing your response. So you're asking yourself, why am I feeling like this when I see that? And then you can consciously replace belief patterns or aspects of yourself that are not serving you in order to suffer less. Because 
the response you have to something will always be different for each individual. So say there is uh, something happening, like a deer is running through the forest and there is 12 people and they all see it and everyone will feel different about it. Some people will be, wow, there's a deer. And some people, for whatever reason, won't like seeing a deer run through the forest because of their conditionings or whatever. But it's the action itself or the deer itself is entirely neutral and it's only when the human mind starts to well judge it or interpret it um that but there is an emotional response with, so i mean okay that kind of gets back to the original like i think there's a substitute to reality so no one's disagreeing that they see the deer i mean and maybe one person's like i don't believe in deer i don't see it or whatever but basically they're all agreeing on, a, on an objective reality which we were talking about earlier yeah, but again that's not completely objective that's a shared agreement reality exactly so how for I mean, them it appears objective but it's not and if you talk to people who've been involved in you know criminal court cases <laughs> well, that, no, no 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 really just like criminal court cases or whatever situations and eight even friends tell me this and 10 family members and 20 different stories of the same event that you know occurred in physical proximity so so there you go yeah so what we're kind of just saying like i mean spiritual bypassing i think normally defined would be something like you know love and light only and like i'm not going to deal with the shadow i don't want to deal with that right whereas you guys see it as phenomenologically different to say well that that object is something that i don't prefer so i'm going to actually renovate it into something i would prefer which i think isn't it's not full-on bypassing but it is definitely restructuring and re-engineering yeah, what else are you gonna do then I especially if you realize you're traumatized and essentially have a broken society and all kinds of things that are leaky and energy leaks and i don't even know what else to say poisons whatever I mean, what are you going to do then? Take a look at the system, try to understand it holistically, and then see what levers uh, you can push to uh, reharmonize on a higher order. I mean, I mean, what what would you do if you find a you know somewhat broken machine? <laughs> well, I mean, that's why I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm like, I think there's somebody who can fix it, and I don't know if it's oh yeah, I mean, who's that gonna be, Jim? <laughs> I, right, sure. So, um. What do you guys think of in terms of the Bashar method? In terms of, I mean, his whole thing is have no expectations. So you're renovating with no expectation in an outcome. In that um, analogy, I mean, I imagine when you're like, this isn't preferred, so I prefer something else. Are you just rerouting energy as opposed to? Do you see what I mean? Like, it seems like okay. So there's a like a river, and you're like, I don't like where this is going. It's, it's, it's not necessarily about rerouting. It's more about actually removing resistance. That is the proper definition of negative belief systems and pain is resistance to the natural self. And this is maybe really something to be said as a mantra. I'm not sure if this is the correct phrasing, but in terms of, well, pain, certainly, and pain is resistance to the natural or higher self and negative belief systems are simply, let's say, energetic uh, obstructions between the communication of oneself and the higher self or also oneself and the all that is and the one make sense i mean you, i'm uh, i'm gonna have to re-listen to this podcast because i feel like i'm just emotionally dazed right now and i'm asking questions but i mean it feels like 
I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral and you're just crying a lot. I haven't been crying much, but it's like, I just feel numb basically. So I'm like asking questions that I don't even know if there's answers to, and maybe I'm just not hearing right. But then it's like, I don't want, I don't want this. But then I'm like, is there some level of me going through this that's higher than my understanding now? Kind of like Jesus being like, well, I don't want this, but I guess I'll have to do this because I'm, I have a contract oh, yeah. or whatever. Well, it's not even about a contract. It's uh, and it's not Agreements. even about here. Well, also, also, but it's in, also it's not even about moving it and saying, oh, in the future. You can also do that, of course, because it's true that in the future, tomorrow, whatever, it's going to be much better. Yeah. Um, the way I like to look at it is through the tarot. I mean, there's different cards, and just as we talked about, yeah, there's a tower card, yes. There's also a star card coming right up. And uh, if I can have a higher perspective and see more of the film strip at once, then I will at least not be as completely distraught and destroyed when I experience a tower card if I know what's coming next. So that's one thing. And so it can be seen in context. I think that can already assist greatly, at least me. And, uh, and then again, of course, within the immediate moment, Again, asking yourself, what would you have to believe is true about yourself in order to feel this negative emotion now? And then you will get pointers to the belief systems. And uh, right in this now moment, you can start replacing that. So I would say it's the belief reconstruction and it's the context that's relevant. Paul, feel free to rant. I know I've just taken over this podcast with my issues. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. That is just human. You know, humans are, pirates are. And I totally agree with what Raphael just said. Um, I want to get back to this one thing you mentioned, which was the shaman and the madman um, who are able to construct a new reality. And first of all, being mad is also very this uh, is something that is in a sense very, um, let's say, subjective. And for better um, response, we will use the term of the shaman for this example that I want to provide because the shaman certainly can have a new perspective and he can construct reality in a new way and just as a mechanic or mechanic has to well first get out of the car or get out of the machine in order to fix it um, so will the shaman have to exit the machine or the constructed reality in order to make it better and to constructively positively repair it so to speak to use this analogy with uh, with the mechanic and well what I want to get to is that once you are outside of this car or you are outside of this um, shared agreement reality you can co-create a different kind of reality that then can be the new shared agreed upon reality and this happens also on the level of the collective subconscious as through, also through psychedelic experiences but also through meditation um, we are able to gain new insights and gain perspectives on reality um, and I don't 
make any difference in between like having a proper ayahuasca ritual and um, meditating for 30 years and chanting Sanskrit mantras, it will get you to the same, not quite the exact same, but it will get you to a similar point. In, in German, we say this, this is not the same, but it is the And so from that point, you can then create a new fixed or better or more harmonious, less suffering, freer in terms of abilities, in terms of, uh, well, possibilities type of reality. And once you've done that, and of course, as the Beatles or John Lennon always said, you're not the only one doing that. Um, so as people do that, and as we optimize in a sense, our reality and our shared agreement reality, we are also accelerating the frequency of the planet and raising the frequency of the planet. And at the same time, providing a new shared upon agreement reality. So you can, um, and that happens on many levels simultaneously. Also parallel to what is already happening. So it's, it's kind of a, an interesting um, observation that this happens at the same time on parallel timelines, so to speak. And, and also simultaneously there kind of uh, these, um, these points where these timelines cross in the infinite and on a collective subconscious level, it is possible then to, to reach a new agreement that allows for, for a better life for all individuals upon the planet. Your cat sounds like it's going berserk. Yeah, my cat is like really interested in my lemon tea, which I'm kind of, uh, you guys have an agreement. You've let him drink it in another timeline. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. This cat is actually amazing. Cats are also really, um, great uh, beings that are here to assist you and to, to show us what we can also, you know, imagine all humans would be like cats and we would just like, uh, chill out all day and have fun and, and, and get food. And, and this is, this is kind of the planet that I want to live on. Well, that means you're doing a good job well, in your environment. Have you seen cat fights or heard them in like streets? And like, see, there's some funny gifs of like cats standing and walking, all scared and shit. They do all sorts of weird things. Cats from my cat, cat fights. Yeah, I I heard a few of them. They sound really scary. Yeah, um, but, they sound demonic. But, yeah, yeah, indeed demonic. So, um, what I wanted to say is in terms of uh, the shaman and right so the most recent uh, channeling session i did we had a few individuals all of them knew actually i may have mentioned this briefly last show and the topic that came up was psychosis but the introductory statement to which i think no one actually then later referred back to during the question session which is always fun for me i'm kind of like oh this is kind of the setup and everyone appears at least to be completely ignoring it which of course i'm completely fine with i don't care but it's funny and uh, so the intro, intro segment was actually about unlocking uh, from a past 
and a future inner sense. So realizing again that all power lies within the now, and it includes the apparently also solid illusion of a past. And then basically most of the session was used up with questions uh, referring to psychosis and to be precise, the past definition of someone else, usually a doctor or something, that those individuals would suffer from psychosis and therefore had to take drugs or whatever. And one of them even mentioned, he said, he really didn't understand what was so bad with the so-called psychosis. He felt more like in a trance or shamanic state or something. And uh, yeah, so, so just want to say that well, these are some interesting correlations. Oh, like, of course, I mean, but it's very real... interesting that you mentioned that because in, in medical anthropology, there is this um, distinction between disease and illness. And what you're describing is that the doctor um, has within this, um, uh, well, society within Western society mostly has more authority to talk about medical issues. And so he's prescribing or like talking about the disease, which is the psychosis. And for the patient, it's more of an illness and his illness may even not be bad at all. It may just be a, an elevated state of consciousness. So the, the individual perspective of the patient is getting within past society um, so what I'm what I want to say is that we have to change society in a sense that what the patients uh, the patients are experiencing is also getting more voice and to kind of um, have a harmonious agreement and have more communication about it so that it's um, it's a shared decision you know that the doctor and the patient together decide about the treatment and not the doctor says whatever he read in the book uh, to kind of quote-unquote treat the patient right um, and I'm happy that there are doctors who are really going into that direction and I think that we also had this before uh, in 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 ancient ancient Greece or ancient Rome, for example, there were always um, these well, kind of uh, more harmonious patient doctor relationships. But that's a whole another topic that I don't want to get into too much. I think that um, in the end, health and mental health and actually everything concerning health is. <clears throat> pretty much also connected to stepping into your own power and to being self-sovereign and to say that I can get help from professionals in, in various departments, but also nowadays in this information age, I might as well just get my own information about whatever I'm experiencing and that may even be better because also there's differences in 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 cultures, there's socio-cultural differences about hearing voices, for example, in, in Western societies, it's mostly um, considered madness, while in, in indigenous tribal societies, it's actually a gift, and you actually will get a raise of status in, in, in the indigenous societies, 
while in Western societies you would get um, your status lowered. Even though that also changes as um, society is also constantly changing and there's even within society uh, kind of a split in terms that uh, for this example of hearing voices that nowadays also in Western societies it's getting more and more popularity to see this as a gift instead of a sickness. Yeah, you just said quite a bit that I wanted to touch on. So, I mean, in terms of the voices thing, I mean, another way to look at it maybe is like movies like Apocalypto, which is by Mel Gibson, like the warring kind of individualist is looked at as the bad guy um, or whatever. And in the Western society, like cowboy kind of mentality and, you know, or whatever, like, you know, shoot first, ask questions later kind of thing is looked at it has been more traditionally looked at as like good uh, it's just funny how these things are all explaining themselves um and maybe you know like when people hear the muses maybe that's how they because it seems there's an objective reality happening something's happening like voices and then people have different cultural values that kind of try to delegate what how to deal with that and it seems like mostly in the west people have just been like look we want this machine to work so just fix yourself whereas it's not a whole lot of necessarily like listening um, I'm actually, I just finished watching an anime called Your Lie in April on Netflix, which is really good. It's only 24 episodes. It's really, really emotional. It's about like a genius pianist who has a nervous breakdown after his mother's death on stage and then gets coaxed out of it by another performer and stuff. It's like a high schooler. It's just really good anime. Um, good music, you know, a lot of Chopin and stuff, but at the same time, like heavy, heavy topics like about like, you know, dark nights of the soul and, and mental instability and like people you know giving up on themselves because at some level you could just be like hey to take two volume and you'll be fine it's like that's kind of i that, that deals with some of the symptoms or you know even like i was saying like i'd like to get higher drunk it's like that might deal with some of the symptoms but is that dealing with the underlying problem ultimately and it seems like maybe some of the cultures where they don't try to just fix the problem they try to hear the person out more um it you know tower cards aren't fun basically so it's like tower cards happen and just trying to anesthetize to do that just so you function i mean maybe people need periods of grief it's tricky because i mean not everybody's mental health is the same um so some people have like chapel perilous and like dark nights of the soul or whatever more regularly it seems um and that's problematic that's why there's you know prescriptions for depression and all this kind of stuff which could be anything from go jog or go do ayahuasca or here's to some xanax or whatever you know there's all sorts of cultural kind of prescriptions for these things depending on one's culture and then it seems that uh and i'm feeling this now especially today it's like i have to go through this in order i mean it sucks but it's like it feels like almost like a rite of passage or something that i've been avoiding whereas like there's quick outs like quick exit ramps but it doesn't get me closer to the destination and the destination's on the other side of this pain or uncomfort or discomfort or confusion Right, the tower card was saying being okay with going into the unknown, and I think sometimes, especially with stability and you know mental health, it's not always rainbows and unicorns. It's like there can be very that's what they call chapel parallels. There can be moments where you're like, I'm going insane and I don't know how to feel about this. That's the whole point of the Matrix. He's like, I know something's wrong with the world. This feels crazy, and is it just me? It's like, no, Neo, it's not just you. I have a red pill. We've been looking for you or whatever. And that doesn't always happen. Sometimes, you know, whether like our friend Corey, 
uh, Kaplan, who just recently relocated to Portland, but it was having a lot of troubles with that. He's coming back on the podcast. We could talk about that with him then. Or Wally Sherold yesterday was talking about, you know, having kind of moments where you sync up with everything and you have this kind of moment where you're you're the guru and trying to express that to others without sounding insane is tricky. Uh, or, you know, you you see the light and like how to describe the light. Should you describe the light to others, etc.? It's It's just an interesting moment. And I mean, it doesn't, I have Mercury and Mars in the 12th house and cancer, so I can get very moody very quickly. I think we have a culture that tends to like, you know, want to f- hit the easy button and fix things quickly with distractions. And it's like, maybe, I mean, maybe I've just got to go through some of this. Maybe it's collective and I'm just processing for the collective and I'm experiencing the anxiety of the collective. And it's not even just mine, demons particularly. I'm not really sure how to put all this. I'm kind of I rambling. Mean- just to briefly respond to that, uh, so just briefly, number one, you have to resonate on some level, otherwise you couldn't even re- perceive that emotion. However, to a degree, what you say can be true, even if it is still ultimately an individually held belief, it may well be that, especially after going through the first layers, one may find, in a sense, let's say, collective layers of negative belief which also need to be transcended doesn't really mean they're not yours at all because if you hadn't agreed to them you couldn't experience them but there is let's say some variant of that to the whole process in my view i think go ahead paul uh thank you so i think that um well basically what Raphael said was very briefly summed up and very good uh, response to that and i want to add to that that seeing this process that you're undergoing as a rite of passage is actually quite a high perspective on it and i feel that it would benefit you if you would stick to that and At least that's what I would say if I would speak for myself or for my cat. And um, then again, it is certainly a time where we are feeling emotions also collectively. So I, I've i been in, in a similar situation as we talked about um, before the, the show um, myself. And so when... I was undergoing this, let's call it a dark night of the soul, then I was really confronted with um, many aspects of myself that I had to look at again. Um, and certainly it is important to to treat the cause and not the effect. Like just fighting symptoms is, is a well kind of a practice that i personally don't like so much um that is to be observed in in some parts of of biomedicine um but we're also moving into a into a time where mental health matters and and also any health matters are seen as as something that has some root to it and we can well 
work there instead of just uh, instead of just trying to to well cure or treat whatever is coming up on the surface because that's the only thing that will allow us to really move into a reality where we will have less suffering and it's you know for me i am very empathic and i feel um you at the moment and i feel that um you will also come out of this even stronger and that it's good for you to kind of look at these things but one thing that you're telling yourself was that uh, you bypassed um so many things or that you were kind of accelerating and not looking at at certain uh not doing your work i think you said and i don't know if that belief serves you because in a sense you were doing some work on other levels of consciousness and it's now about the time to bring your insights from the astral realms more into a lower dense frequency and that is sometimes if you really push it on the astral realms then it can feel like a lot and a lot of dense energy but this too shall pass and so it will be able that uh, it will be possible for you to integrate what you've learned and i don't think that you skipped anything it's just that you gained a lot of insights and a lot of uh clarity on other levels of your being and you're now bringing those insights and this clarity and this purity into your being and that does then also helps the collective because we're all connected on some level of this reality like it's um it's shared and and that is just the response to 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 what i felt um or what i was feeling is is beneficial to say now and i hope that it helps even though we also are in the process collectively of transcending this um helping and this mentality of the savior and the the victim and the persecutor um is something that that we will eventually leave behind but at the present moment in this timeline for most of us it's still something that is present and it's actually showing up in increased intensity um at least from my perspective and then again i want to just come to something completely different and that is this differentiation of this one objective reality because it does exist or i'm not quite sure about if it even exists there is one reality and that's full stop that's the sentence there is one reality or one reality is full stop that's it it's just it is but there is a difference in between something is something exists something appears 
and so on and so forth. So there's these levels of ness. <laughs> it's making ness. Kind of a cake. Right, so it's like there's an icing layer, which is not the same thing as the middle of a cake, which is not the same thing as the, you know, whatever levels of the candles in the cake, but it's like that's a cake, it's the whole thing. And then different parts can be experienced differently. Because um, I do, we've talked about this a lot, and I know all of us have done psychedelics and stuff, like being on DMT and stuff, that feels more real in a sense, but that's an altered state in a sense. Like you're not going to be able to. Like, from what? Well, 3D dream state or whatever this collective yeah, but even trip here, is. what what level of that state you know there is a highly right. positive I mean, polarized joyful <laughs> gleeful uh, excited version of that and there's a super depressed uh, poisoned nihilistic version of that apparently same existence within what we call quote-unquote third density reality or physicalized reality Well, that brings up a totally different point, but I kind of want to talk about this, and maybe it's a good enough a segue. Uh, in the green room, I don't know if you heard it, Raphael, we were chatting about him channeling and how he brought up, and we could talk about any number of this stuff. I'm kind of interested how you got into that, Paul. But um, what, he had mentioned that he had dealt with some entities he didn't think were helpful or something like that. Um, kind of like what you were talking about, you can experience one the, you know the cake but some people are like that thing is full of calories and it'll kill you and it's sugar 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 and some people are like it's all good man or whatever so it's like um paul how what were the experiences you were talking about first of all how'd you get into channeling and then what were the, what were you kind of talking about in the green room if you remember what, I, what i'm referencing at all okay um so i got into channeling basically through Bashar and and just having an interest for the topic and then also meeting Raphael and especially meeting Raphael because I have this um, ability to kind of unlock new potentials of my being whenever I meet someone who has these abilities and spend time with them. This happened a lot in my life that I, I don't know, I... I you hang I'm out with the next in... man, your mutant powers get stronger kind of thing. Exactly, something like that. Because I'm maybe it's connected to, to my um Tolkien, which is the white galactic mirror. So I'm just amplifying whatever energy is next to me. And so I have to take even more care about which people I surround myself with than most people. And so channeling for me is really interesting. And I got into channeling mm, like I said, through through meditation and also through meeting entities, actually uh, with DMT experience, uh, I was the first time when I met when I met an entity. Um, and so, so I'm very grateful for the Earth providing DMT for us to experience it in a more profound way because I feel that it's also a way to, to get to know God and that it's a very powerful infusion that is um, something I'm very grateful for on this planet. Didn't you recently post a meme, Jim, regarding that? I post so much shit, I don't recall exactly what you're referencing. Something along the lines of... Uh... I dare you to 
what was it again? Something like a day to prove God to me or, or some like atheist uh, against someone and accusing him or whatever. I dare you to do this or that. And the other one is sa says, I dare you to smoke 0 0.1 or 0.2 grams of DMT I, and still not believe in God or something like that. I don't remember posting that, but who knows? This is one of the side effects of being a Gemini. I do things without being conscious of it sometimes. Um, yeah. So, Paul, what kind of entity did you come into contact with? I mean, it was like specific, like Anubis, or like what did you meet? On in the DMT experience, you mean? Yeah, like because you were saying Bashar kind of turned you on to the possibility that this was on a you know a meal on the table. It's like, oh shit, I can do this, and then you did it. It seems through meditation and psychedelics, and you said you came into contact with a specific entity. It's the first entity that I was seeing. I was in contact with other entities before that, uh, but this was the first entity that I could see. And it looked like a cosmic guide. It looked like a clown. Um, it, it It's... It's not really, this is where we get to these limitations of language. I cannot put into words how this being looked. Maybe art and painting is, is better um, for that. I can look, maybe if I find a picture that kind of resembles this being later. But it was Did it this... articulate a name or was it just an energy that you're interacting with? I mean, I guess I'm, how, how evidenced was it to you? Was it kind of just like, oh, it's an ephemeral vibe and I think it's here? Or was it like, hi, I'm Jack the Clown and I'm here to guide you? It didn't introduce itself with a name or, or he or she didn't use a name, but that's maybe because I don't really do that either in my day-to-day -day life i just i don't care about names at all i just see people and i see auras and i don't really care about your name i don't i don't really care about names at all i just remember faces and i just recently started to um get back into this practice that i hadn't done for years of asking people or introducing myself with a name um because I felt it was limiting the experience. You know, whenever I meet someone and I'm like, what's your name? It's it's kind of boring to me. It was really boring. So for years, I I don't know how many, like five years or something, I was just um, meeting people and, and making connections, but not really caring so much about names. And maybe that played into why this entity also didn't give me a name because I don't, I didn't ask for it. Um, but it's, it's, it was really present and the entity, um, appeared and I was just, uh, really, it was, it wasn't intense because it was my, my breakthrough experience and, and I was kind of smoking Changa and then It felt like my my body was shaking, but I was at the same time completely still. It's the and, high vibe breakthrough shit. I know what you mean. Yeah, and so then I was uh, kind of elevated to another level of existence, and it um, first I saw many shapes and geometrical patterns a light and kind of uh 
indescribable experience, really beautiful experience, and an experience that is really so powerful that, um, well, it's been some years ago now, and now I feel like maybe I want to have a similar experience again. But it was not like that, okay, I'm going to do this again tomorrow. It was like so intense that I was really like, okay, um, I need some time also to integrate this. And <clears throat> uh, to get back to the entity, it was colorful. It was really like all, it had all colors and even colors that I think were like new colors. And um, and it was like guiding me through through various realms. And was there a me, lesson? Like, I mean, in the sense, like here's like, oh, the world is round or flat or whatever. Or was it just experiential <laughs> like that? Where it was. Like, it was experiential mostly. It showed me many um, doors in hyperspace, and it was like, okay. This uh, so it, it was it was kind of giving me the sense of that it had been with me for a long time on a soul level, and that it was guiding me all the time, and that it's happy that I'm uh, now here in this uh, realm. So, quote unquote, physically, we can officially meet now, bro. Huh? Kind of, it was like we could uh, meet now, or however. yeah, we can officially meet now. It was like yeah, it was like this, and it was really. Um, nice and then it it said okay this door you can go there and then you can do this and it's this and this is that and it explained to me various levels of hyperspace and it also said uh this you don't have access to this you have access to and this you will get access to once you have learned this lesson and that like similar to akashic records or akasha chronic where you can only read uh that which the ascended masters give you access to and which is actually kind of the it, it's it appeared to me like the best kind of security system that I ever experienced and it's way beyond anything that we have on this uh in our like IT or whatever um I don't know so much about IT security but I know that uh, I watched this movie and it's called No System is Safe and it's about IT on on our planet and so that it's kind of uh well, the, basically, this movie says that it's possible to hack into anything, but on this level, in hyperspace, that's certainly not the case. There is really guardians and and gatekeepers and and access and and uh, ascended masters and and beings that are really um, making it secure. And so, anywho, anyhow, it it showed me these doors and it showed me some some insights and. Then the final lesson or the message was, don't take everything so seriously. And then I, the next thing I know, this is like, it, it gives me this message. Then I'm back in my body and I just start laughing hysterically for, I don't know, like 10 minutes or so, because I, I realized that everything up, I experienced up to this point in my life uh, was just a cosmic joke. Well, damn, that's beautiful. Uh, I, I've, when doing DMT, it seemed like I was coming into contact with guardians of thresholds and things like that. So I totally know what you mean in terms of like energetic, you know, uh, I guess defenses is too strong a word, but it's like designations. Raphael, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, <clears throat> the full archetype is a common experience as a kind of garden of the threshold or, you know, any other uh, role that he could take. And yeah, I mean, fundamentally, at least for me, and I, well, I guess I could say when I realized this whole point, but um, of course, that's the thing. I mean, especially if you approach it logically, as I like to do, and you realize such things as eternity, immortality, and so on, and also the relativity of meaning and shared reality, as we just discussed, then it is truly not as serious as any you know, commonly held belief system now would make you believe. And it can't be because it's all contained within the one, no matter how dramatic you make it appear for yourself, it's still just all contained within the one. Nothing can ever really be lost or destroyed. And then, of course, the natural response is to laugh at yourself for all the ideas and things you took oh so seriously and then ideally integrate it into everyday life. Not meaning that you stop caring about others or about yourself, but just uh, having a more uh, relaxed approach. Because again, this uh, maybe even more humorous or just positive approach in interpretation will actually assist you in the creation of positive synchronistic realities. That's the other thing that many people then think, oh, I'm afraid because I'm not worried enough. But that's not how it works. So I'm curious, we can kind of take this from DMT psychedelia experiences, which may not phenomenologically ultimately be any different than channeling. Um, but do you guys consider, what's your experience like with channeling? How do you guys compare and contrast it? Um, is it like you kind of get a word and you kind of project it? Or are you getting like talked to by something you see it and translating? Paul, like, and do you think there's, uh, you were saying about deceptive, you know, things saying they were angels and they were not, or something to that effect, um, if you want to go into that kind of explanation. Mm -hmm. I would love to get on this topic. For me, it's not the same thing. A DMT experience and channeling are, for me at least, to be looked at uh, differentiated. And there are some similarities and some, like, common denominators, though. And... Uh, to focus on the channeling now. Mm, the channeling for me is mm, kind of a more mm, how to say this? It's it's less about seeing. So the DMT experience was very visual and channeling to me is not visual at all. It's just uh, being tuned into a field of energies and receiving messages. And I had this, um, well, psychology would maybe call it the psychotic episode or whatever, where I was just, uh, to me, it felt like there was spirits speaking through me and I just let them. I, I didn't really feel myself so much at that time. So I was just a vessel for the messages of the cosmos in a sense. And I was just, I was uh, speaking or that's the point. I wasn't speaking. It was not I, it was my body, but it was not me speaking. It was just um, messages coming through me. And at that time, which was at the beginning of my channeling, um, Sometimes there were also messages that they were helpful in some sense, but they were not mm, aligned with 
with Pokemon, because it would be as with if Pokemon. I... You said yes, yes, with Pokemon. So they because... weren't wholesome. No, they were. Let me finish this. Okay, um, sorry, sorry, please, because they they were not aligned with Pokemon in the sense that if I would go into the Pokemon Center and have my bicycle on select, and I would press select, and the Professor Oak would say it's neither the right time nor the right uh, place for this, and and at that time it was kind of bypassing this message. So I was just speaking things that were true or that were um, or there were messages brought through me that were assisting also the human consciousness collective and, and our species and our planet. But at the same time, sometimes they wouldn't uh, be received or they couldn't be received properly. And that led to many emotional responses from, from other people. Let's say I say something and it's just not the right moment to say this to someone. And then they would go emotional. And nowadays I know that even these kind of messages still served a purpose because uh, a seed has been planted and it, it shall grow. Um, but I'm now much more conscious about about choosing the channel consciously, deciding which beings to talk to, and about also having the right set and setting and not just randomly channeling messages that are helping myself and the people around me, but not really um, respecting the emotional and not really feeling into the room, so to speak. Like, um, if I'm eating dinner with seven friends and, uh, they're talking about, I don't know, anything like, uh, how beautiful is, is nature. And I'm suddenly channeling something about, uh, the, I don't know, a star system very far from us, then it wouldn't really fit into this timeline and not really fit into our collective shared experience at that present moment, but still serve some function in bringing a message. And nowadays, as I said, it's, it's, um, for me become more clear that it's important to, um, to also know when to channel what and to consciously ask questions and to just uh, do it more consciously. I, I would say that I've been unconsciously channeling for some time and now I'm consciously channeling and consciously channeling is much more, much more beautiful and much more, um, much more, um, I don't know. It's making me also feel better and harmonious. That's the word I was looking for. So that kind of goes right along with the communication card sometimes. I mean, although I guess what you're saying is in some holographic infinite levels, some layers of the cake might be getting affected by what you're saying at the dinner party, but the people there might in their 3D meat suits be like, hey, we were talking about like how cool ferns are. Um, I'm glad Sirius is on your mind, but we don't care. It might be more chaotic and tower cardy at a level two. So it seems like um yeah self-discipline <laughs> your vega card right like having that self-discipline knowing when to you know the water is always available but you can turn it full blast and let it rip or you can let it trickle or you can have a glass you know that kind of thing um rafael what are your thoughts on this channeling stuff 
Well, I think it's quite interesting how you describe it. <clears throat> um, well, discernment certainly is key, and what's always kind of an issue when you talk to anyone is you never know how much they have had to refine the discernment or also what potentially confusing or debilitating experiences they already had gone through and then therefore decided to, you know, do their what is commonly called shadow work and really refine their discernment. However, of course, I very much consider that an absolute prerequisite for any of, you know, any uh, psychonautic ability, no matter how you induce it, uh, no matter what ritual you follow, discernment always is key and you're never let go off of that responsibility, no matter how far you get or whatever. It's always up to you individual discernment and decision, basically what you allow and what you agree to. So I think you put it very well. And in terms of um, experience, well, it's certainly different than a DMT trip, at least for me as well. Although I certainly do wish it were as flashy as a DMT trip. However, in my case, I noticed it's also... Well, mainly, I would say, or a good part of it is auditory. However, upon closer contemplation, quite some part of it for me actually is visual. And I was kind of surprised to discover this myself when thinking about it later on. But I didn't realize that quite sometimes, and I think I mentioned this on the episode 76 we did on the channeling, basically, that I sometimes actually see visual representations and concepts and ideas that I then just do my best to translate and put into actual uh, intelligible language. However, it's um, it's certainly, again, not as colorful and 5D level as uh, the usual DMT experience may well be. Well, it's funny you guys say that because I have had an astral projection once that I got to through meditation, which I feel was... It's tricky because these things, I mean, what is a channeled experience versus like, like you know, a vision versus whatever. I mean, I, I don't think there's like one size fits all for even any of these communicative descriptors. So, um, yes, well, it's not clear cut, but uh, to make one potential differentiation, what you could call uh, astral travel is where you actually move your point of conscious awareness also physically away. Whereas I would say with channeling, especially with conscious channeling, an aspect of your attention very much remains in awareness of your body as well. Um, that may be one relevant distinction. Good point. I was going to say that, that was very visual for me, but I, I felt like I went somewhere else. Um, right. And during that time, were you aware of your physical body? Like, could you have moved your oh, fingers yeah. or something? Well, it was tricky because it was this both hands. So I think I've told the story before right. very briefly. Like I was for some reason in high school, I was like, I'm going to run on a treadmill really hard for an hour, like at the highest level, like on 10. And I'd get this high trade state. Then I'd get in a cross lotus positioning, like focus on my solar plexus and my third eye and just be like getting these long breaths. And I did that for like a week or two for no good reason. And then I eventually astral projected, but to get out of my body, I mean, basically I was like popped out of my body and I saw it. And then when I went somewhere else, I was still tethered kind of like an inception to the music I was listening to, it was affecting where I was, in a sense. Um, but I was not anywhere near my body. I mean, I don't know. It, it felt like when I was over, I slammed back into my body kind of thing. Um, so that feels more like a vision or slash astral projection, whereas 
what you guys sound like you stay here and like kind of scoot over a little or see Maybe something. It was certainly there is no you know clear distinction and it's all just a matter of almost arbitrary definition. However, one could also see it as a kind of a sliding scale possibly. And of course, when you do conscious channeling, you want to open up and certainly, you know, more than your average, I guess it's alpha brainwave state of, you know, stressed, uh, mineral deprived individuals. So that's not the one you're going to have, but you're also not going to go the full extreme necessarily of a theta state or whatever, but just like, you know, open yourself up just a few percent more than usual that may quote unquote percent, you know, whatever this means, but that may already well be enough that, uh, it can, you know, allow for more information to come through and all of that and you don't need to go like all out like you would when you're doing a full-on astral projection or something like that paul have you had uh, do you have you had visions versus this kind of channeling thing do you know what i'm kind of getting at here and uh, do you see a difference i do um certainly see a difference in between the visions and the channeling for me i don't or I didn't have so much visions. Um, outside That's your of music, seconds. right? It's oh yeah, um, I turn it down a bit. It's okay. It's I was just like, That's background Arcturian, to have a Arcturian sound healing purification. Um, so I didn't have so many visions outside of psychedelic experiences. I did have some visions outside of psychedelic psychedelic experiences too and so visions to me is is it's also a term that is uh hmm. <sighs> how to put this i did have actually many visions but not all of them were so visual so it, it's just a matter of what do we mean exactly when we say vision and what do we mean exactly when we say uh, channeling? Because there is certainly an argument to be made that those two can be connected, but then at the same time, they can be very much differentiated. And so I think it's it's important to make a clear distinction and to say this is channeling and this is uh, a vision. And so visions for me are more about insights and it's more maybe more individually crafted messages and channelings can be more about at least in my experience more about asking a question and getting an answer and also getting answers to questions from other people while visions mostly are um, suited to to further assist your individual growth that's a good distinction uh and it's funny because it's this is one of the conundrums of like the new age situation where it's like all is one but there's differentiation so it's it's interesting to always kind of see how others experience it that's the point in a sense of this podcast i'm trying to understand my process and other people's processes and make some sense of the make a map it might not be absolute but i'm like what the fuck is going on here so um out of curiosity, Paul, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to address, like what you're up to maybe in university or anything like that? I think that I have, uh, well, talked about many things that I'm excited about. I was happy to talk about channeling because it's really one of my highest excitements. 
and I could go on talking about other things that I do, like playing with fire or um, actually, I don't like the term playing with fire because I don't You're play a with fire. Answer. I am actually, I, I play with fire as some people say I do. Um, I say that I don't do a fire show, except when you book me for a fire show, then you can get a fire show, you can get a fire ritual, you can get... I'm very good with fire, and I love fire, and I make a fire um, performance is maybe a bit better, but I don't even like performance because it's so much about having an audience. For me, it's really a sacred ritual. When I light um, like tools, juggling fire juggling tools, for me, it's about connecting to the fire, and for me, it's also really much about honoring this sacred element and I can also make it very much uh, ceremonial even um, and university wise I mentioned I think the medical anthropology uh, I'm also specializing in, in anthropology of religion and it is quite interesting even though for me I'm happy that I also read books privately because some of my favorite anthropologists like Joseph Campbell, for example, or uh, Sir George James Fraser or um, Wolf-Dieter Stoll and Christian Rich are really good anthropologists, especially Maybe Christian Rage is more of a biologist, but um, Worf der Stoll or, or Joseph Campbell, they're really um, good reads. For example, The Power of Myth has been one of my favorite books. Um, and also all the books about, about plant medicine and the plants of the Celtic people and all this nature spirituality it is in the university it is briefly touched upon these topics um but for example in one in one course there was just uh, sir, sir sir george james frazier i think i'm pronouncing it correctly hopefully um who wrote about um, <sighs> many things and uh, he wrote this i'm looking for the title of the book but it's about uh, it's not religious the, the uh, phenomenon of religious experience or something like that is it it is about that also and he's mentioning like rituals and practices of priestess of diana for example um or he's also saying he's also talking about power so it's about, it was in political anthropology where his name was mentioned but i by coincidence or actually because it was recommended to me by a master teacher jeff bomey uh who recommended to to read this book um the golden bro it's called the golden bro oh, the golden bow the golden bow yeah oh exactly. yeah yeah there's a whole yeah. uh the king kill myth and all that kind of stuff uh, i have friends that are <laughs> exactly. actually wally shorold who was on yesterday does stuff with the sync book the sync book people are all about that shit i've got a copy on my computer i have yet to read it but the idea at some level is like 
you know, you got this. I don't. We don't have to get into this now. But yeah, the king kill, where it's just like, oh, look, there's a king. He has a daughter. The prince comes in and he takes the king's place, and then he's the new king, and then the peasant from out like of town. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the priest of Diana, who's living in the forest, and he has a shrine in the forest, and he's the priest of Diana as long as uh, another guy comes and kills him and takes his place and stuff like that. Which uh, kind of like Holy Mountain in a weird way. Brutal ancient practices, but then uh, one argument was really fascinating to me that is um, about being free and you would think, you know, the Queen of England, for example, is so powerful that, that she must have freedom, but she actually doesn't because she has to drink tea precisely at nine past seven o'clock and then uh, take a shower at 7.3 seconds after, you know, this and um, it's very structured. Exactly, and where is the freedom in that? That's a question that is asked in this in this book. Um, I guess it depends on the definition of freedom. Some people think of freedom as like I can ride on a cow, a horse into the sunset, or stay next to the river, or whatever I want with my horse. And some people, you know, think that. I mean, this is kind of what martial arts is about, and I guess dance in some way, where it's like if you get into a certain mechanic enough, like you, you know, transcend it in some weird way. Yeah, so um, it is certainly about the definition of freedom. And I think that um, what's most important is not um, like saying, hey, you're not free or something like that. I think as long as the queen is happy with her structure and she feels free in it, then it's well, then I'm happy too, because I want other people to be happy and I want others to to well enjoy their life and so in some way the queen is being a queen and that's what she's asked for i mean i'm sure Raphael and you would both agree that bashar maybe touches upon that in the sense that she's being her she's following her highest excitement or something like that with the, with agreements she has permitted herself to be a queen that that is true she has permitted herself to be a queen um i don't know if that is her highest excitement i have not met her um, to talk about that with her, but um, then again, I wanted to get uh, away from from kind of uh, drifting off into these really interesting topics and get more back to one point that I was about to make about university, because while I um, enjoy it, I feel that it. Um, it is, it is for me a bit sad, you know, because I, I read this book and I really enjoyed this book. And then in the course of political anthropology, this name is just mentioned in a, in, in a footnote. And, and it's more about uh, other aspects of political anthropology, which are also quite interesting. But um, it's like with any study, you will always, it's like, in in the university, I, I have a course, and about ten uh, percent of it are interesting. And I am now, luckily, in in a semester where it's where this percentage is increasing, and it's about to get to the know. juicy stuff you would prefer, as opposed to like the core classes or whatever. Exactly, and gotta even get that it, math and English, it I guess. <laughs> but even in these uh, even in these juicy cases or juicy uh, subjects and uh, juicy mm, like courses it's still not 
not a hundred percent my highest excitement because I, I love for example all ethnobotanics and uh, reading about uh, you want to be in the well, jungle tripping and hanging out with the locals it sounds yeah sure it's important also to do, to do field stuff. work you know I, I don't want to be an armchair anthropologist I have to do my field work so um, so I have to uh, actually so it's your for, for research purpose right? uh, yeah yeah self-discipline exactly. There's the bigger card. So you got to get through, you know, to know Kung Fu, you got to plug into that matrix. I mean, it is what it is. That's true. It is, uh, it is what it is. And yeah, I love Wolf Tito Stoll and reading, reading about the plants of the Celts. And now I take a course in medical anthropology and it's, it's interesting. It's a very nice course. Um, but it's not specialized enough for me. So maybe I have to study even more and then in my, I can choose my bachelor's thesis and then I can, can choose my own literature and then I can go even more into a specialized field. You're going to end up being the guy who knows everything about daffodils or something in, in the culture of these Botswanans or something. Well, I imagine with Reddit and the internet and stuff, you can probably do some searches Maybe look at the kind of high-level courses from other universities, see what they're reading. Um, just kind of get a general survey of the topography of your interests. And always, I mean, I can't believe I'm the one saying this. You guys are the Bashar folks. Follow your highest excitement. So it's like, if, you know, see where it leads. But that doesn't mean it's all fucking, you know, like birth pangs happen. Like work happens, growth happens, self-discipline happens. Um, Daniel San would not be able to fucking kick ass in Karate Kid if he hadn't waxed on and waxed off a bunch right that repetitive motion he didn't have any freedom but it led to a kind of freedom ultimately so hopefully that makes sense paul i'm kind of curious uh wrapping up here um what your parting thoughts will be we'll have to get you back on you're always fun and very helpful i feel like both times you've been on it's been very kind of uh juicy kind of i'm uh, you know I, I think last time we had a listener come in uh we were talking about sugar and coffee maybe that was that episode but um yeah, it seems that whenever you come on, it's uh, very therapeutic and helpful for where I'm at. So thanks for that. But are there any uh, kind of parting thoughts? First of all, thank you. And actually, I, I get to hear this a lot. I'm really happy about that. Actually, my presence seems to help people mm, or have therapeutic effects. Mm, concluding thoughts. Yeah. Mm. Actually, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be on this talk. I quite enjoyed also um, the reflection and the questions. I was really happy to talk, to talk about to talk about channeling and also about my relationship with fire. Mm. We'll have to get more in depth of that stuff next time. We can do that for sure, and. I will learn more about all these plants and animals and also religions and mm, rituals and practices and mm, you're gonna write hmm. a paper on cats and lemongrass tea or something. <laughs> lemongrass tea sounds amazing, yeah, and, and about uh honey and the bee's knees and how important it is for our planet to to save the bees and for that we need a lot more cannabis 
Well, these are definitely rabbit holes we can go down next time. Thanks again for coming on, um, y'all. It's always fun to see who comes in here. Find the others. That's what I'm about. And uh, we all help each other. So he was a key in my day. I came in with a frown, and now it's turned upside down, as they say. So thank you for that. Raphael? Yeah, well, thank you, Paul, for joining. And uh, thank you all for listening. I think we said enough for now. And uh, yeah, catch y'all in the next now. Enjoy yourselves. Radio Pokey Talk.